G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The 2020 Summer Series on Vision Christian Radio. Susie, tell us about your book, In Over Your Head. Is this a reflection on some of the challenges that you've had where you've been faced by the stresses and... Yes, Neil, if it's okay with you, just to give you just a quick synopsis of the things that marked my life, because I think every one of us has, if we look back over our shoulder, we have things that really marked our life to the point that it framed our perspective, to the point that it drives what we do. And for me, a few significant um, experiences shaped my thinking, which totally affected uh, what drove me and how I used the, the things that God offered me, the time, treasure, and talents. And so I'll just tell you, growing up in a large family, wonderful family, uh, but I was about nine years old. Um, I was pinned down by some boys in our neighborhood, ankles and wrists to the ground, and I won't say more than that, but I was very traumatized by what happened at the hands of those boys. And what that did was open up a canyon of insecurity and, and fear. And I would have constant nightmares of being attacked. I never told anybody what happened. But about a year later, I'm 10 years old at this point, I'm still a little four-foot thing, small girl, and walking home from school, and a different group of boys jumped me and beat me up really bad. And uh, I just remember as just a little girl screaming and covering my head as they punched me in the face, kicked me in the stomach, pulled fistfuls of hair out, and I got up from that place. And I, and I was part of a denomination where I knew God was real, but I didn't know Jesus was accessible. And when I got up from that beating... My lip was bloody and bruised and or swollen, and my hair was snarled, and my ribs hurt, and I was so traumatized, of course, by that these big boys would jump me for no reason, and I just remember hearing in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And I, I knew that was the enemy of my soul, even though I had no theology, no understanding of the Bible, but I felt my whole life that the the enemy was snipping at my heels. When you jump ahead to my middle school years, um, I just became an overperformer. I was a decent athlete, so I, I just sunk myself into that. I strived to, you know, be the teacher's pet. I served in the office. I did everything out of striving, trying to prove myself out of a hole, because uh, I felt like such a lost cause and such damaged goods. Well, then when I came to Christ as a young teenager, I just transferred all that striving into Christianity. I I became a super server. I served in every which way you can imagine, and I was on all the committees, and I just was a a superhero, you know, so to speak. And uh, during our third pregnancy, I was on bed rest for six months, and uh, a few months into my bed rest, my doctor said that I could get up and test the waters to see if, uh, if I would be okay to be on my feet for a little bit. And on my one day up, I'd met some girlfriends from college, and we went for a walk. I was being very careful, but it wasn't good enough. I still ended up contracting and having to go back to bed that night. Within two weeks of that outing, my face started to go numb. My memory started to go. I was only in my 20s. I had a crawling, numbing feeling in the base of my skull that went around in my face and dizziness and horrifying symptoms. And long story short, you know, I had three months left to go on that pregnancy. I delivered our son. And within a year later, I found out I had Lyme disease. I'd actually been bitten by the deer tick 
my one day up off of bed rest, and there again was the voice in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere. I battled Lyme disease just terribly, and I mentioned that in the book, my, my journey through, I was a fitness instructor, so to lose my health to the degree that I did, I mean, I was so weak, I, I basically could take a shower once a week, um, just because it took so much out of me, and had three little boys, and I would lay on the floor and just play with them. I had no strength to do much else. So once I got my life back and started to get my strength back, that's when I became, again, a super server, and it was just sinking myself into church every which way with passion, thinking, I'm going to seize the day. You know, once you've been sick, you want to make your life count. But what I didn't realize is I had my limits. We all have our limits. And what happened is I drove myself right into a burnout. And the book, this book you're talking about, is the fruit of coming out of that place and really respecting our limits and knowing that there are just, first of all, we serve out of a place of love, that we can't strive to get his love, God's love. He loves us first. He loved us first. So when we get that settled, and we live from that place, then the choices are about health. They're about stewardship. They're not about trying to prove something. But, Neil, I just think that there are millions of Christians racing and running around trying to prove something that Jesus has already proven. So thank you for letting me have a moment to just share where I'm coming from, because when we live in response to God's love, everything changes. And then the tweaks that we need to make in our physical and spiritual health, then they make all the difference. But it's coming from a place of fullness. Susie, when you go through those traumas, uh, you find your life is affected. Uh, you were talking about uh, things that lead to overperformance, uh, blaming God even, uh, the devil having access to you when you don't want him to have access to you, but somehow or other, as you say, he sort of reminds you that he can have access to you and you can feel like damaged goods. Your personal value is in question. These sorts of things, do they shape the way we have our attitudes to our life? Uh, and the things that shape us, uh, they can lead us in a good direction or they can lead us in a bad direction. Often we choose the bad direction, don't we? We really do. You know, and, and on, on my uh, show a few months ago, one of my guests said one of the great epidemics of the church is unresolved grief. And I will tell you, if we don't take time to sort through our losses, our traumas, and our hurts, they will drive us in the bad direction. And, and the reason I'm so passionate about, about that, Neil, is because Scripture says that there will be a day when we give account. Now, Jesus paid for our sins, so we don't go before the great white throne of judgment. I mean, the people who have rejected Christ will have to pay for their sin because they rejected Christ's payment for their sin. Our sin is paid for, but there is a day of reckoning for us, and it's the day when we reckon what we did with our time, treasure, and talents. And when we are misusing our time, treasure, and talents to prove something that Jesus has already proven, there's no redemptive value. There might be a little bit of fruit in that, but, but when we, everything gets put on the altar, what we did in response to God's love, out of the abiding love, life, that's what will last. And, and we must know that God loves us so much that he wants to heal those things. But we've got to slow down long enough to let him heal those things. We've got to slow down long enough to give him time and space to speak to us about our story. And uh, we will find a loving Father and Savior ready to untangle all this for us so we can live from a place of freedom. A biblical perspective of life, culture, and current events. The 2020 Summer Series on Vision. You describe your development in your life, uh, and uh, many of listeners, no doubt, will be able to uh, to see this in your story, that you became very driven, 
And uh, this drivenness uh, was even a drivenness in serving in your local church. And uh, some of us might say, well, isn't that a good trait to have, to be driven to serve in the local church? And isn't it supposed to happen like that? But uh, but this drivenness actually is, is more significant uh, because uh, the idea of having balance and understanding what it is to rest in God, uh, this is also a part of what it is to have a fulfilled life. How do you describe this? Are we just talking about driven people here? Who who get uh, overwhelmed by the stresses and the uh, the challenges of lives, or is this everyone we're talking about? I'm so glad you asked that. It's a fantastic question. It's everybody we're talking about, and I I use the whole idea, you know, and again because the parallel from physical to spiritual health is so significant. God has written laws in our physical health as He has in our spiritual health that there's an element for each one of us of input, output, and recovery, and that's just the way it is. And I actually interviewed quite a few people on the spiritual side of things, um, and there are people who are the 20% doing the 80% of the work, and those who are over-serving, and they're driven for what for whatever reason, they're striving and straining, there, there's bad fruit that comes out of that. I mean, they may be doing it with a good heart, but there are other things that are driving them, and the bad fruit that comes out of that is exhaustion, sometimes self-righteousness, sometimes judgment for the for those who are not serving what 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 in the world are they doing with their time and and so this is those things don't come from the vine and that's why for the overdrivers and the overservers they're all output they're not enough input and i travel around the country and i do travel sometimes internationally and we're all the same those who are on five committees those who are driving you if you wonder if you're overserving ask the people around you those your family am i doing too much and then be ready to hear but also know that this is not about obligation. This is about invitation. That means maybe you, you drop out of a couple of those committees and you expand your time with the Lord in the morning or night or whenever you meet with Him, where you give Him time and space. So maybe your bent is overdrive, and God's saying, come away with me for a while. Because for the output, there has to be a balanced input, and there has to be time of recovery. Well, then there's others. There's a good portion of people who are the spectators. They're not the over-servers. They're overfed, way overfed. They have all the kind of Christian resources you can imagine, but they're not engaging their faith muscle. They're not engaging in serving. And the bad fruit that often comes from that is a sense of being disconnected. It's a sense of assessing how the servers are doing it, almost like kind of armchair quarterbacking, you know what I mean, or Monday afternoon. I don't know if you guys... Have the, I won't even use that term because I don't know if you use that in, in Australia, but uh, but the idea of judging people for how they're serving, right? Where if you're underserving and you're always fed, you're going to just assess how everybody else is doing it, but you're not getting involved yourself. You'll deal with the constant sense of being disconnected from the body because you are disconnected from the body. But if the over-service could pull back and enjoy some intimacy with God and the overfed could step up, and engage and take some of the burden off, we would have a healthy, thriving body of Christ. So I just think it helps to look both at your physical life and your spiritual life. What kind of input do you have going on in the physical realm? Are you eating all the kind of foods all the time and not balancing things out? In the spiritual realm, do you have a certain self-righteousness about you only live here from this one teacher and uh, that's the only buddy you'll... Or do you have a colorful palate? And are you overfed? Are you over-serving? And do you build in enough time for replenishment and rest? Because there's an ebb and a flow and a recovery. And it's that momentum that's sustainable. It's not sustainable any other way. 
And those people who are able to find that ebb and flow are the ones who can accomplish the most and do it with a good bedtime. You know what I mean? They can go to bed on time. They can have a margin and still have a flourishing life. And, and it's something God invites us to, and it's actually possible. So when you're working flat out, you might not achieve as much as if you take time uh, for the ebb and the flow and the recovery because we're in a marathon here, not a sprint. Uh, There's an interesting perspective you bring there. And talking about this 80-20 rule, uh, the 20% who are working too hard, and we're talking about in the local church here, and the 80% that are spectators, I'm intrigued by that whole issue of being disconnected because if you're not working in your local church, you may actually feel this disconnected and disconnected not only from the local church but disconnected from the plan of God. Uh, This is the interesting connection here to bring to what motivates us in our lives because we want to know as Christian believers that uh, we're serving according to God's plan, but if we're disconnected from our local church, we feel disconnected from God's plan. Is that the way that works? That's very, very true. In fact, the Scripture says, you know, in Him you've been enriched in every way, in all your speaking, and all your knowledge. And that word enriched translates plusios, where we get the word plutocrat, and the word plutocrat is somebody who's of such great wealth that their handlers can never give them a definitive number for the, the dollar amount that they're worth because their interest is accruing at such a rate. That, so they have such a, such a wealth about them. There's never a definitive number to say, this is how much you're worth. Well, that word translates in this passage that there's like an accumulative spiritual wealth for the person who practices the art of steady application, of walking with God, of following Him, of obeying Him, of assembling with other believers, all these things Scripture says. Now, I want to be careful. I'm not talking about legalism. I I hope that's very clear. But there's something to be said. When we are hit and miss, and let me put it this way. My hubby and I used to be uh, volunteer youth pastors, and we had uh, 40 to 50 kids at our house once a week, and we would do Bible study with them. We'd play games with them. And once in a while, you'd have these kids who would just make it every five times. They'd miss it for a month, and then they'd be back. And it was always those parents who said, he feels so disconnected. And we would grab them and go, get him here, because he won't feel disconnected if he stays connected. So going back to that passage, as believers, if we could first and foremost know, I have nothing to prove but all the eternity to live for, but I'm going to stay engaged with my local church. I'm going to stay with it when the friendships get tough. I'm going to trust God when there's no sign around me that says he's coming through for me. You practice your faith. I mean, you live like a believer, so you're not just trusting him for your eternity. You believe this stuff, so you're engaging your faith. There is a spiritual wealth that is accrued. And, and again, hear me now, this doesn't mean God loves you more. It doesn't mean you're more saved than somebody else. We're saved by grace. Nothing can separate us from his love. But that ebb and flow and that steady momentum in the things of God, it does affect your influence. It does affect the fruit in your life, and it affects the overall purposes of God moving forward when we're all engaged in a way that's healthy and sustainable, uh, and it really reflects the abiding life. A biblical perspective of life, culture, and current events. The 2020 Summer Series on Vision. Boy, is that ever a good point, Neil. And you think about how many uh, dreams and visions of God were born in the wilderness of some of his people who were in obscurity. And when we get thrust into a season of obscurity, that oftentimes becomes our greatest education. But if we are, if we measure our value about how we appear and even what we produce, 
we make those things the goal, we are going to drive and strive ourselves right into a, a ditch because that's not life and it's not sustainable. But if you could see yourself, maybe you've just lost your job, maybe your spouse just left, maybe you're just burnt out and you're thinking, I can't keep this pace up, and you pull back and you go into a season of, of quietness where you pull back from some things and you just give yourself time and space to hear from God, people are going to judge that all day long because people are measuring value based on uh, what we produce. But that we serve an upside-down kingdom. We're not, this isn't about success and achievement. It's about faithfulness and fruitfulness. And when I think of myself all those years back when, as a young mom, I had friends who had money. They had health wealth. They were taking vacations, building additions. They had name brand clothes. I was in my 20s with an IV bag hanging by our broken mini blinds. I had three little baby boys on the floor. We had no money for anything. We were going broke because of my medical debt. My short-term memory was completely wiped out, and I thought God lost my address. And in the middle of that place, I remember sitting there and I, and I was not young enough in my faith that I really did think he lost my address. And, but I, I had no vision or dream for my life, but I was hanging on to Scripture going, God, I know you're good. You're going to show yourself somehow in this place. And a woman from my church called, and she said, Susie, I've been praying about you, hearing about all the stuff you're going through with your health and your finances. Um, she said, I asked God, what are you doing with this girl? And she said, now you listen to me. She said, Susie, God gave me a picture of a platform that he's building with your pain. And you're going to speak from that place someday. So lean in and learn everything you can, because you're going to have a story to tell. And in that moment, I I knew that was true. And if you look around, I was not put together. We... Our lives were turned upside down. Our house was falling apart. Our finances were a mess. But God saw... He saw me, and there was a promise over my life. The rest of the world looked at me and thought, you know, I'm... Nobody was lining up to be my best friend, let's put it that way. But as God started to bring my life out of the ashes and start to keep the promises that he'd made to me in that place, so many of the critics came back and said, I had no idea you were in training. I had no idea that God was refining you for a purpose. And I know enough now, I've walked with God long enough to know that if I find myself in those seasons where I don't look as put together to the rest of the world, it's because there is a sacred education. He's training me for my next place of promise. And so for me, the gap has gotten wider and wider between how man affects me and how God affects me. He is, nobody loves me like he does. Nobody can equip me like he does. And ultimately, I'm only here for him. I'm here for a short time. Life on earth is short. Eternity is long. And as I serve an audience of one and do what he says, I'll be able to help the most people. But if I turn around and try to appear a certain way to people, try to get a certain group to like me, try to prove to another group that I'm something, I'm completely wasting the precious time, treasure, and talents he's entrusted to me. Man, I just think that a revival would break out if we could serve an audience of one and really sort of give up on the need to impress people so that we could bless God. And, uh, and then we'd start to get about the business of the kingdom, I believe. When you talk about going through those tough times, a preparation that God is putting you through, and the way that we sometimes feel as though if we're going through the tough times, if bad things are happening, that somehow or other we've failed. Uh, but you define success in the biblical way that we ought to look at success as faithfulness to God. And uh, when you mentioned uh, that idea of being faithful to God, that's our success. We know that because 
when we stand before God, we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, because that's God's way of of uh, defining what success is. It's this level of faithfulness. And faithful to his plan might not be uh, all of the other uh uh, you know, bells and whistles. But that faithfulness is what ultimately God is looking at. And as you say, he's like an audience of one and he's the one we're to impress. So when we come to this plan of God for our lives, and for some people this is a little bit like a needle in a haystack, what is God's plan? So when you talk about what God's plan might be for individuals, and perhaps it's different for one to another, uh, and yet there'll be some common elements, how do you describe God's plan? If we're talking about faithfulness, to his plan and getting on that right track, what does it look like to you, Susie? Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus said, I've appointed you to bear fruit that lasts. It's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So very much I see success, quote-unquote success, as faithfulness and fruitfulness, that we, that we are living the abiding life. And in that place, you know, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the wonderful things he planned for us long ago. So we are his poetry. He's writing a story with our lives that weaves into the greater kingdom story. So God's plan for you and God's plan for me, I write a lot about this in my book, Your Beautiful Purpose, but it's really about, I say first and foremost, it's to be much with God. That's across the board. For every Christ follower, your first and foremost call is to be much with God. Two is to do the next thing he tells you to do, whatever that is. It's not rocket science. Maybe it goes go across the street and bring a pie to your neighbor. Maybe it's write the letter. Maybe it's sign up for the writer's conference so you can write a book. But do the next thing he tells you to. Three, it's to give him access to your story and to your hurts, which means... Let him in. Let him correct your character. When he, when, let him convict you, not condemn you. He doesn't condemn us, but let him bring conviction for your inconsistencies and let him heal your wounds. And if I could just reference another passage in Ephesians, it says he's able to do above and beyond all we could ever dare to ask or think according to his work within us. You often hear that quoted without that word, but he wants to. He will do above and beyond all we can imagine, but it's always according to the access that we give him. He's a gentleman. If we shut him out, he he will not force his way into our soul and our story. So our purpose to to be much with God, to do the next thing he says, to give him access to our story and our hurts and our character so he can make us like him. And then fourth, if you dare, ask him to do the impossible in and through you. And I dare you, Lord, do the impossible in and through me. And as you start to pray audacious prayers like that, He'll start to drop desires in your heart, and your desires will be different from mine because he's made us all for the purpose of walking out our story in the way that he created us. And to me, that's when the adventure happens because you start to pay attention to some of the dreams he drops in your heart, and you do the next thing he says before you know it. You see mountains move. You see waters part. You see divine connections made. And I see God smiling over it all. So I, I I love the idea of us engaging with God in that regard. Just a couple of minutes remaining in our conversation. As we talk about remedies for when you are overloaded, if when you've lost track of God's plan and you're struggling with all of these things, is what is it that comes to mind for you, Susie? As uh, is there a, a is there a single most important factor to remember here? Uh, what would you say is to, to encourage listeners uh, to actually, when you're feeling in over your head, this is how you uh, come up for air. What's the most important thing? 
time in the presence of God. I would put worship music on. I would worship him. I would open your Bible, open your journey journal, and I would listen. I'd also write down everything you're putting your time to and put it before the Lord to say, are you still blessing this? Anything have to go and be willing to back out of some things. I know that confronts the sensibilities of some, but if the Lord is saying, I never called you to that, I never asked you to do that, be willing to graciously find your way out of some of those things, but it's critical that you find time and space to be in the presence of God, get back to His Word, until you start to feel His voice bring refreshment to your soul. Um, The world needs your influence, and you won't be much of an influence if you're not much with God in His presence. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.